Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So as I said before, we are in the middle of this series, and, uh, and it is a fantastic series that we, we love talking about relationships around here, and we are studying the uh, Song of Songs, and the, uh, the first uh, verse in this book is essentially, uh, it's essentially our goal for this series, so let's jump in on it, let's take a look and see what it says. It starts off with, with Song of Psalms, uh, Song of Songs, I'm sorry, I keep saying Psalms there, one, uh, one through four, so, so it says, um, Solomon's Song of Songs. So, of course, the beginning of this, uh, this is, this is a, a song, love song, written by Solomon, and he is declaring it in his first words, this is my greatest hit. This is the best song that I've ever written. And he wrote a lot. Uh, in First Kings, it tell us, tells us that he wrote a thousand and five different songs. And so this one here was his greatest hit. And uh, so it declares that right at the beginning. And essentially, this song is a love ballad between he and an unnamed woman, his lover. And, uh, and essentially, when you're reading through this, you'll find that uh, there, there are three different voices here in the, in the, uh, in the, the passages. Uh, and I've color-coded them for you so that you can know who they are. So when you see things in green, that is the, the female speaking. And then when you see things in blue, that is Solomon talking. And then, of course, when you see things in pink, there's this group of women that rallied around his lover and... Uh, and and are echoing back the sentiments of their love. And so you'll see those. Those are in pink. But uh, today we're just going to be dealing with Solomon and his love. And, uh, and so the, the beginning, uh, she begins here and says, uh, um, begins the passage after they announce that it's the Song of Songs. And just a little side note here. As we read through this, you're going to notice uh, that, that she talks about four times as much as he does. Now, for those of you guys who are unmarried, that's about accurate for every marriage, I would say. And uh, so you just need to know that that's, that's about right. So she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. So what she is saying here is that his love is aged. His love is refined. It's to be sought after even more than a fine wine. He's the best lover, and she's not necessarily referring to the way that he loves her in the bedroom. They're not married yet. What she's saying is the way that you love me. The way that you make me feel, you make me feel beautiful, you make me feel attractive, you make me feel valued. The way that you love me is to be sought after. And she continues, she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Now, she's not referring to your aqua de Gio or your Axe body spray. She is talking about the way that, the way that he treats her. Let me, let me say this. Have you ever been around somebody who smells good? They, they just smell good, right? Maybe they smell like cookies or something, like a fruit roll-up, and you just want to be around them. You're just like, hey, can I just, can I hug you? Can I be near you a little longer, please? I know it's awkward, but you smell good. Do you, have you ever known anybody like that? Maybe you're sitting next to somebody that smells like that, or maybe you're sitting next to somebody you wish smelled like that, right, this morning. But... But, but when you do, you, wanna, you just want to be close to them. They draw you in. Their smell draws you in. And so she's likening his kind of love to this, this perfume that is drawing her in. The way he loves her is intoxicating to her like a perfume does. 
And she continues, your name is like perfume poured out. In other words, now everybody can smell it. Everybody can see it. No wonder the maidens love you. He's got such an incredible hook into her that other people can see it too. And they've begun to notice the way that he loves her. And, uh, and, they, they, and she says, no wonder the maidens love you. See, every woman wanted to be with him and every man wanted to be Solomon. And I would say that that's our goal for this series. Ladies, not necessarily that every woman would want your man, but that, that people would look at the way that you love each other and they would say, I want that. That they could say, these guys have got something right in their relationships, and I need to have that. And when we get that opportunity, we, of course, point them to Jesus. But that's our goal for this series. We want you to understand how that you can love each other, how you get to be the shiny for other people to demonstrate that, that love of Christ that is in you. But, and we want to get people to, to Jesus. We want to point them that way. But we have to realize that that starts with us, okay? And so you've got to show them through your marriage what love should be. And that's how they'll see Jesus. So that's where we're going in the series over the next few weeks. And uh, every week we're going to explore something a little different. Last week we covered the art of uh, attraction, okay? And this was, this was, if you weren't here, you can listen to it on our website, mysimplechurch.com. But we talked about what does it take in, in, in a godly way to attract a mate. And so we, we talked through that last week. And, uh, and then, of course... Uh, next week, we are going to be, or today, we are going to be looking at the whole dating scene. What does it look like for us to get into a dating relationship or into a, a relationship with somebody in a godly way? And, uh, and most of today, what, I, what I'm going to say to you is going to sound old-fashioned to you. You're gonna, it's very countercultural because the way that God does things is, is abnormal. And I think we need to be okay with abnormal because if you look around at our world and what is normal today you'll realize that it's broken, that it's not working, that we need to do something different because what the world is calling normal is, is causes like a high rate of divorce in the world and in the church. We have teens becoming sexually active at extremely young ages, and studies say that, that 70% will become sexually active before they get into their 20s. And that's heartbreaking and tragic, and we need to do something about it, but the answer will not come from MTV. They know even less about what, uh, what, should be, what we should be doing as God's people. And so we need to get back to the Word of God and, 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 and see what he says about dating. And that's what we're going to do today and how, how all this stuff should work out. Because he has a better plan and a better way for us uh, to go through it. Amen? And so uh, Romans 12, 2 warns us about getting away from God's Word. It says to stop copying the patterns of this world, the way that they do stuff, their customs, because... It isn't going to be healthy for you, but we are challenged to allow God to transform us. In other words, to change our minds, to change the way that we think, to gain a different perspective on things, a biblical perspective, according to God's word. And, and some of you singles today, you're going to hear what I have to say, and you're going to think that, it, that I'm crazy, and you're going to think that, uh, that this is crazy old school, and, uh, and it is. But I would ask you to listen to the entire message today before you turn me off. If we get to the end of today's message... And you decide, you know what, that's not for me, fine. You're an adult, you can make that decision for yourself. But as I'm talking through some of these things, you're going to be tempted to just shut me down right away. Just, just hear me out. Give me, give, me, give me the opportunity to make a case for God's way and what he has to say about it today, okay? And today's message, I would say, is openly dedicated to everyone who is frustrated with the whole dating scene, the whole relationship part of it. I believe that what we're doing today is very broken, but it's also a very relatively new 
uh, process, uh, the, the way that we date today is, is, is fairly new. We, we actually didn't start dating this way until the early 1920s. Uh, until uh, before then, we used to date according to biblical standards, and, and the families were really, really involved. But in the 1920s, what started to happen is that the relationship became largely unsupervised. The, the, uh, the fathers were removed from the situation. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I was supervised to a point, right? Anybody here have supervision over your dating relationships? Anybody awake in this place today? I was supervised to a point. Like when we went out, we were out in public. We were not in in private places, and and I was not allowed to have a girl in my bedroom. And 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 if we were out watching TV, maybe out in the sunroom, the door had to be open. Or any place that we went to, we needed to be aware that mom and dad could and would walk in at any moment, right? Whether they were physically in the room with us at any time, there was supervision over the relationship. And, of course, you think that your parents are crazy when they do that to you, but as you get older, you begin to realize how wise your parents actually were, right? And so they were pretty smart after all, but I, I, I had way more liberty than the people did in the 1920s. Uh, families were heavily involved with the, with the members of the opposite sex, and the whole dating relationship was completely supervised. You, if you wanted to date the daughter, you pretty much dated the family. You dated the best friends as well. It was... It was this group effort to maintain that relationship and to be in that relationship. So as the 20s roared on, adult supervision slipped away. And, of course, what that led to was, was a lack of the father's involvement in the daughter's life, which, of course, put the ladies at a, at a disadvantage today. It put them on the boy's turf. And, uh, and boy, we are we in trouble when that happens, right? And let me say this, that if you're a refined young lady that's sitting here today and you've got values and, and morals and you've got standards in your life, it, it's quite possible that you're just sitting here waiting for some guy to get his act together to, to, to become a man and ask you out. It is quite possible that you're just waiting for him to start the whole process. And this just kind of stinks for you. You're, you're kind of stuck. But that's not how it used to be as dads and families were more involved with the courtships. And I, and I feel bad for you ladies who are waiting on these boys to grow up and begin to look like men. Uh, because you go to events and everyone asks about your love life. They're like, how's your dating? Who are you with? Are you close to getting engaged, honey? You know, what's going on with your life? And, and, and you, after, after all the Grand Inquisition, you come home from those events feeling beat up because, you know, what's wrong with me? Why am I not getting married or why am I not getting engaged? Because my cousin's getting engaged and you come home and you look on Facebook and or one of your friend calls one of your friends calls you and you find out she just got engaged and what you should be doing is jumping up and down and clapping like you girls do and oh my gosh she's getting married and you do that but really on the inside you just want to punch her in the throat because you're like what is wrong with me I'm prettier than her this shouldn't happen this way why aren't I getting engaged right <clears throat> Y'all aren't ready for me this morning. And guys, I, I, got, I love you, but I feel bad for the ladies before that. But guys, I love you, but, but we aren't becoming men as quick anymore. The, the maturation process or the growing up process is delayed, right? We've got guys who are in their 20s who can't hold down a job, but they're really, really, and I mean really, really good at video games. They really are, or even magic tricks, just saying. But my point is that they refuse to become men, and that process is slowed down, and, and you ladies, I think, are suffering for it. I, I think you're suffering for it. 
I heard a comedian once say that I don't have a girlfriend, but I do know a lady that would be very upset to hear that. And I think that's, I think that's how guys are, <laughs> I think that's how, how, we, how we're looking at our relationships today. And I, and I think it's messed up, so we need to fix it, okay? So today we're going to talk a little bit about seasons. Here's the thought for the day, that there are different things that should happen at different times in our life. A season for everything. So here's a verse that is not in the Song of Songs, but it's still written by Solomon. It's Ecclesiastes 3.1. It says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. What that means is not that every activity should happen in every season. That, that there's specific times for specific things in your life. And I would say that as parents, we're quite aware of these specific times and seasons in our own kids' lives, right? Like we are aware that, that when our kids are younger, we treat them in proper ways, in so many different proper ways. We say, you know, we look at our kids and go, hey, you need to learn how to clean your room. You need to learn how to make your bed. You need to go to school and get an education, and so we push them to school. No matter that they want to sleep in until 11, we get them out of bed in the morning and drag them kicking and screaming to go get an education, and then when they graduate from high school, we, we ensure that they get to college because you got to have a college degree if you want to get the great jobs, and, and so we, we want them to make it, and, and, then, and then we tell them, you know, hey, you're going to get a job because... You need to start paying for your car payment. You need to start paying for your insurance. You, you need to start paying for these extra things that you want. And so we're really good as parents at making sure that they do these healthy things for themselves, right? But, but on the flip side of that, when it comes to relationships, we're like, hey, go out and have fun. Go sow your wild oats. Have a great time. Date as many people as you can. Enjoy your time with them. Kiss as many girls as you can. Find out who you like, who you don't like. And we encourage our kids to go do this. And we tell them because if they don't do it now, when, all that, when they get married, all the fun stops. Isn't that what we tell them? We tell them you need to do that. And I have to be real honest with you. I didn't start having fun until I got married. I didn't know what fun was until I got married. And if you're not having fun in your marriage, you're doing it wrong. Just being honest with you. You're doing it wrong. But we're telling them to do married things while they are single because that is supposed to make their married life better better later on i would say that it's the right feelings it's the right things but it's the wrong season of their life to do this when they're younger to do to do all those things and we've got to get ourselves into god's rhythm and his timing for these seasons in our life because the truth is is the way that you practice is the way that you play I'll say it again. The way that you practice is the way that you play. As, a, as an entertainer and as a magician growing up, I learned very quickly that if I practiced a card trick, which I, I wish I had my cards here. I'd show you something. Uh, they're in my office if anybody wants to move quickly. But, but I learned that, that when you practice, if you have this big dumb look on your face while you're practicing, that when you go to perform... You haven't practiced to not have a big, dumb look on your face. And so you go to perform for a paying audience, and you're like this. Those magicians who jump off the stage and, and dance and prance around, guess what? They have practiced smiling while they're, while they're, thank you, Derek. I'm past the moment, but I appreciate it. No, I'm just kidding, Derek. Here, just for you, buddy. There you go. Here, here. there it is. There it is. Ooh, it's magic. Thank you. <clears throat> or for those of you not into magic, let me just say this, maybe something a little more relatable to you, maybe in the gym. You go to the gym and your form is off, 
and you start doing, you ever, you, there's these hilarious videos going around, around Facebook and YouTube and, of people just doing it wrong. And they're expecting to get great results. Their form is off. They're, they're using the machines improperly. They're doing something. They're just not doing it right. In other words, their, their practice and their technique is all wrong about how they're going about it. And so they have no growth, no gains, no goals. And improper practice or technique yields poor results. And so that's what's happening in our relationships, I think. I think we're taught this even in Christian homes. We're sent out to date, and we do married things, or maybe we just do, we do sort of married things. Like, you know, we don't go all the way, but we do visit the heavy petting zoo. And, you know, it's like we... we We tell people, I love you. We say, I'm, I'm only for you, and they aren't interesting anymore to us at some point, and so we just discard them, and we begin to look for another relationship. We, we move on to someone else, and then we repeat the process. We find ourselves giving ourselves fully and completely to somebody, emotionally, mentally, physically. We give ourselves to somebody, and then when that doesn't work out, we have this ripping and this tearing in our relationships, and we wind up having wounds within our hearts and baggage that we carry into the very next relationship. No wonder our divorce rate is high because we are practicing divorce in our dating relationships. When we give ourselves completely to somebody, wholly to somebody, and then we just separate from them, we are practicing for the day when we are married. And it's no wonder we can't keep ourselves together. Now, I know you're all looking at me like I got two heads right now. I get it. I get it. You think that I've lost my mind here, and I, and I understand that. But you've already agreed to listen to me, so just sit tight. Keep with me. I'd say that there are three seasons in this love song that I want you to see that, that, that would influence your dating season that you're in. Uh, I think it'll help singles. I think it'll help parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody who is raising a child, the next generation. I, I think that it will help you. But my plea certainly is with the singles uh, in this room today. So, Here's what she says in Song of Songs 2, 8 through 10. This is our first season. She says, listen, my lover. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. In other words, she is burning up in love for him. As we saw last week in the previous verses, they were laying down in a grassy knoll and had to come to a place where they said, we need to stop. She is on fire for this man. She, she loves him. She thinks he's fine. And she says, look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Now, look, I, I, I can tell you, when you read verses like this, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read the Bible, I have to read the Bible. She says, she just described this. Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. This is creepy, is it not? Are you not reading the same verses I'm reading? Behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the light. It's creepy, man. But she digs it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> My lover spoke and said to me, now I'm not going to read it this way, but I want you to hear it in like a half Spanish accent, kind of like Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. Think that. She says that he says, arise, my darling. See, I can't even do it. My beautiful one, and come with me. And this, of course, represents the season that I think every single one of us has been in before, right? 
When we first get into a relationship, I called it Twitter-pated earlier, we get infatuated with the person. This is that season of perfection where we are looking at our loved one. We are looking at the person that we are beginning to get into the dating relationship with, and we genuinely believe that that person is perfect. It's the season of perfection. We aren't seeing clearly that they aren't perfect because we are blinded by love. But let me tell you, they're not perfect. They're not even close because no one is. And I can hear the pushback from you, though. You say, but you don't know him. You don't know how good he is to me. You don't know the things that he says to me. You don't know how good she is. You, you don't know the things that she's done or, or how well off. She, you, you just don't know. She's just perfect, Mom. She's awesome. Dad, he just treats me so good. Look, I can't see us ever having a bad day, ever. <laughs> He's perfect. Look, I'm going to blow the lid off of this for all of you singles right now. Ladies, I'm talking to the married ladies in this room. How many of you are married to a perfect man? Raise your hand. He is. Both of those guys forced their wives' hands up. All right. And, and so, guys, let me ask you guys. How many of you guys are married to a perfect lady? Oh, look, all the guys in the room, all the guys in the room are like, oh, God, help me. I don't know the right answer. What's the right answer? Help. <laughs> Shave me. But even the guy in the story, they have a fight in a few chapters. And I would say that nobody is perfect. And love is not believing that another person is perfect. It is seeing past their imperfections and loving them perfectly through the eyes of Christ. That's what love is. I'm going to say it again. Love is not believing that another person is perfect. It is seeing past their imperfections and learning to love them perfectly through the eyes of Christ. You can write that one down. You can tweet it. You can take it home to mama and say, this was good. <laughs> but I have to be honest with you. It's those imperfections in, in your spouse or your, your future mate or the person that you're dating that eventually will, will bring out the the fruit of the Spirit in your life, right? It is those imperfections, those things that begin to bug you, those things that, that you have the temptation to be impatient over that the Spirit gets to produce that patience in you. It's those, those quirky little things that you begin to be endeared to when you realize that, hey, this is a good thing. I get to love them, all of them, all of this. I get to love them this way, just as they are. It becomes something that when they go away on trips, you begin to miss their imperfections. You begin to miss who they are. You miss the great things, but you also miss the imperfect things about them. Now, if you're seeing that person that you're in relationship right now, if you're seeing them as perfect, if you're one of those people who would sit here and say, nope, the person that I'm dating, Aaron, it doesn't matter how much you make fun of me, they are perfect. If that's you, let me just tell you that you are in this season of perfection, and there are three warnings that I want to give you, three things that I think that you need to try to limit in your relationship with them. The very first thing is your time. At the beginning of the relationship, I would say you need to limit your time, but, but don't get into this unhealthy rhythm with them where you cut ties with all of your current friends, your, all your families. Anybody know somebody like this? So as soon as they get into a brand new relationship, all of a sudden, they become Houdini. They have completely disappeared, and you don't see them anymore. Does anybody know friends like that? And as soon as they're done with that relationship, they come back around, and you're like, where have you been? They're like, oh, you know, I was, I was dating this girl, and now we're done, so I'm back with you guys. And that just makes you feel great, doesn't it? But, but, but I would say you need to limit your time spent with them because it isolates you to just them when you, when you just give them everything. It's, it's no bueno, so limit your time. 
The second thing I would tell you that you need to do at the beginning of the relationship, if you're feeling Twitter-pated, is to limit your talk. In this Twitter-pated, infatuated state of mind, you begin to talk with them, and you're spending so much time with them that you begin to talk a really, really big game. You begin to make commitments to them. You begin to make promises to them. You begin to say, you know, you begin to talk about what you want your future house to look like and what you want your kids to look like. And the truth is, you really don't even know who this person is. But here you are giving yourself to them. You're making plans with them. You are tying your future to them in this beginning stage. And then what happens when you break up is all of those hopes, all of those dreams, everything that you were working towards gets dashed on the rocks and you're left broken. So limit your talk. It's funny, my 12-year-old had a girlfriend for a few months, and it was, you know, looking at the text messages, love you, bae, love you, bae. And I'm like, you don't even know what love is. And yet we're giving ourselves and saying, I love you, because we're like, hey, this is what what we're supposed to do, right? This is what people do when they're in a relationship. They say, I love you, and you don't even know if you really love them yet. We used to be really careful with our words. We used to choose them wisely. We didn't say, I love you, so quickly. So limit Limit your, your talk. Don't tie yourself completely to that person. And then the last, thing, the, the last thing I would say that you need to limit if you're in this stage of perfection or this season of perfection is to limit your touch. During this season, you both are looking your best. You're both smelling your best. You're both dressing your best. And it will be very, very difficult to resist. Again, it's the right feeling. It's the wrong season in your life, right? Because God made you that way, but it isn't your time. See, you have to be careful. It's easy to be tempted in this area, and I would even say that apart from Jesus, we would all fail in this area completely. It would be extremely difficult to resist temptation when it comes to the area of touch. So limit that. Put boundaries on it. And these limits, limits that you can put on yourself will limit the damage that you can create on yourself in these relationships should they fall apart. It's just to benefit you. It's not a bunch of rules and restrictions. It's freedom that I'm offering you if you're willing to put up these barriers. And I'm just trying to help you in this season. Our next season begins in our next verse. It's uh, verse 11 through 12. He says, see, the winter is past. See, so they're they're changing topics now. He says, "The, the, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. So we see here that there's this season of winter that is now giving away to this beautiful season of spring. And winter here isn't just a cold season. It is a season, essentially, of of preparation, right? Because there's stuff happening on the inside. During the wintertime, how many of you all spend a whole lot of time outside? Unless your job demands it, right? All right, there's a few of you. You work outside. You live outside. That's you. But for the most part, we stay inside, right? Something is happening on the inside. And so this season... Of, of, of preparation is happening. Like, like during the winter, you don't fertilize your grass to make it green, right? What you do do is fertilize it to make the root system strong. It's something that is happening on the inside, something beneath the surface. And that's what's happening here. They know they love each other and they want to be together. And so there's this growth in the relationship and it comes at a time of preparation like this for the next season in their life, which is, of course, the wedding which is their time of marriage. So this season of preparation, uh, the, the season of perfection, sorry, excuse me, is when we think they can do no wrong, but we have to guard ourselves knowing that we are infatuated and Twitter-pated, not thinking clearly. But as this, the relationship moves forward, we enter that season of preparation for what's next. And there's a lot of people in this season, in fact, I would say if you're at any level of being single, that you are in this season of preparation, no matter whether you're dating anybody or not. And I would say it's a critical season 
Because if you don't know who you're married, like if you're looking to get married or maybe even to get remarried, uh, the, the season of preparation says that who you are becoming is far more important than for whom you're looking. Who you are becoming is way more important than for whom you're looking, okay, during this season. Focus more on being the person rather than finding the right person. Become that right person. If you become the right person, then God will bring you the right person in your relationship. And we have to develop us because when we get married, your spouse doesn't come along and fix everything for you. They're not the ones who make everything right. In fact, what they do is they just bring their issues and add them to your issues, and they compound, and you got bigger issues. So we've got to let God work on us and allow the season of winter to take place for strengthening. In our love song and in our Jewish culture, the young woman uh, would enter into a time, uh, the, excuse me, the young man would enter into a time of preparation once he had found the woman that he wanted, and he would go and, and separate himself from her, and he would go to build a place for her. He would go to build a home and prepare, some, prepare himself for her by spending time with his father. And his dad would teach him how to carry on the family business. He, the dad would help him prepare the house. And so he entered into this season of preparation. And I think we have a lot of this that is missing in our culture today because we have a largely fatherless generation. Even if the dads are in the homes, they're completely absent. Absent, absent minded or, or, or not even paying attention to the kids. They're distracted by ESPN or Facebook or video games or whatever it is. We've got a lot of this. I'd say the same thing happened for the young lady in that current culture was that she would go and spend time with mom and mom would primarily and during that time, mom taught her how to take care of the house. And so she learned it. And I think we need that. This instruction came from people who had been there before, who had walked the path before. Men and women who had been there passed down their experience to their children. And we just don't see that today. It's so different from today's culture. Nowadays, we smack them on the rear end and say, good luck, you're 18, go fly, soar. You know, like kicking, we use this, this, this comparison to kicking them out of the eagle's nest. They got to learn to fly. But, but really, we're not eagles. Our kids need our guidance. They need to be guided through their relationships. And we have no adult supervision, no wisdom, and we get into these relationships without knowing what we're doing, and we wind up doing things that God didn't intend for us. What's interesting is not only were the parents involved, but the wedding party. They drew in their friends and said, hey, I need your help. I need your help during this season of preparation because the wedding party was, was there. You would take your friends and you would gather them around you and say, during this time, I'm hot and heavy for her, and there's a time of preparation. There is a day that we're going to get married, and we're going to do married things. But until then, I need your help to help me stay pure. Now, isn't that completely opposite from what we see today? I mean, think of movies like The Hangover. We celebrate the debauchery that our current, our current wedding parties get involved in with bachelor and bachelorette parties. They're doing anything but trying to help you remain pure and be the best you that you can be for your spouse on your wedding day, right? And during this, this time of preparation, the access to the person was, was denied and it was heavily supervised. It was heavily supervised by the family and by the friends. You know, I, I'd say we need a little more of this today. You know, every boy who comes to take out my daughter is going to get a talking to. And if he can't respect me, that boy needs to get on because if he can't respect me, he's not going to respect my daughter. He can go. I think it's kind of messed up that we have, we have more hoops for boys to jump through to get in and take out our cars than we do hoops for them to date our daughters. I, I think our culture is messed up. I think we're missing something. And we need to get the right preparations and the right people involved in this season. We need families to surround our kids as they go through their dating process. 
So here's the last season, Solomon says, catch us for the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. The imagery is exactly what it sounds like. These foxes would climb into the vineyards and they would eat the, the blossoms before they had an opportunity, or the plants before they had an opportunity to blossom and so there was no fruit. And the bloom was taken before its time and I think that's what he's referring to. He's like, our little girls are, are losing their their. Before, they're losing their, their innocence before they're in full bloom, before they're ready. And our boys, before they think they're ready too many times. But boys, we think we're ready like from the time we were like 11. We're like, we're ready to do this. But it takes a man in your life to say, no, you're, you're not ready. You need to remain in this season of preparation. But not only that, you also need to have a season of purity, which is what Solomon's calling them to. It's the last season. We need to root out those little foxes, those things that would destroy this season. A season to make it right. A season to learn how to keep ourselves pure. You know, I, I can, I'm going to tell you that I wasn't a virgin when I married my wife. I, I wasn't. I wish I, I was. I wish that that was a gift that I could have offered her. I wish that every girl's hand that I held or every girl that I kissed, I wish I'd never done any of those things because I would have loved to have offered myself wholly and completely to her. She, it, she didn't deserve to have to deal with the baggage that I brought into the marriage. It's not her fault. She didn't sign up for that. She didn't ask for that. Certainly not one of the things she prayed about when she asked for a man. Hey, give me somebody that's been with a lot of women, please. I just think that'll make me happy in my marriage. You're laughing because it's ridiculous, but yet that's the life that we live. And I think if I had just refrained from some things, if I wouldn't have carried some of the emotional baggage that I did into my marriage, because I love that girl. I do. And she didn't have to, she didn't sign up for all this. And this may seem like brand new information to you, but let me say that you don't have to do married stuff to try out the relationship. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again today. If you're curious about whether or not you're compatible, if you are a boy and she is a girl, you are compatible. Period. That's the way that works. You don't need to try it out to know if, it's comp if you're compatible. You don't have to compromise your values to know whether or not this person is the person you're going to spend your life with. Because I'll tell you, I sit with people and they never ever say to me, you know, I really wish that I had had more sexual encounters. I wish I'd had one more person in my life that I could have added a notch on my bedpost because that's what will fix my current marriage situation. I never talk to a person that says that. So here's what I'd venture to say. I'd say 100% of us in here have messed this up in the past in some form or some fashion. So I encourage you today to be free in Jesus because there's no condemnation for you. What's happened in the past has happened in the past. I'm not here to say that you're a horrible person, but I, but I am here to tell you that you can be forgiven and Jesus forgives you, but you need to discontinue the pattern that is causing the problem in your life, in your relationships. Be free from the past because Jesus makes all things new, but let's call sin, sin. Let's say sin is missing God's best for you. It's not a bunch of rules, like I said before. It's freedom that he is offering you. And you don't realize it because you're like, hey, I'm having a great time. You're really gathering more baggage and damage to yourself than you realize into your relationships. We need to stop doing married things before we are married. And we need to keep ourselves sexually pure. And that includes things that we're going to watch on the television or things that we click on on the internet. We need to get some accountability in your life if you're struggling with these kind of things. There's too much at stake if you don't. God has grace for you all, for all of us. 
But we need to get to a place where we are able to change, where we allow him to work in our hearts and our lives. Because we see this is true. We see Jesus has brought the woman who's caught in the middle of adultery, and they throw her in front of him. Jesus looks at her and says, I don't condemn you. What you've done is done. Be forgiven. Go. But here's what he calls her to. He says, go and don't sin anymore. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying to every single one of us today. Be free. Be forgiven. Don't stress about your past. Don't let it get you down. But go forward and sin no more. Break the cycle in your life. No matter what you're involved in, no matter how messed up you've made yourself or your relationships, be free today. He's calling us to stop living a life that is so damaging. Here's the last verse of the day, and I'm going to close. Chapter 3, verse 5. She says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Look, we, we saw this last week where she's the one that put a halt to things again, and here we see she's doing it again. We have to let the right things happen in the right season and in the right order. If we get this right, we will be a model to people who will look at us and say, those people love better than anybody I've ever seen. The way they love and the way they treat each other is different. But their relationships work, and I want that for my life. I want what God wants for me. And I think we get to be that shiny. That's our opportunity, church. That's what we got to do. So we we don't just do these things just for us. We do it for everyone around us. Let's pray. You know, many of us here have messed up in these areas, and no matter if you're single or currently a mess, or you're married and you're carrying the wounds from your past or your partner's past, or maybe you're feeling hopelessly single here today, I want you to know that God loves you today and has done much to demonstrate that love for you. His grace is for every one of you. He wants to be in relationship with you, and if you've made mistakes or you're living a life of sin, and I don't need to tell you what that sin is because the Holy Spirit's doing the right, that right now. He's been doing it since I've started talking today. I'm here to ask you to allow God to speak to you and make those changes. He'll make you brand new. And here's your chance to take part in that. If you say, I want to take part in beginning again, I want, I want to, to allow God's standard for my life to be the way that I live, to do things His way, not mine. We call this making Jesus Lord of your life. And if that's something you want to participate in, it begins with the prayer and continues through your life with the decisions that you make every day to let him be Lord. If you want to take part in that prayer, if you want to say, Aaron, count me in. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life to allow him to transform me today. I won't ask you to stand or come to the front. I just want you to slip your hand up and put it back down and say, Aaron, count me in. That's me. I need need God's forgiveness. If that's you, slip your hand in the air and put it back down real quick. It's awesome. Thank you. Here's the prayer. I'm going to give you the words. You just need to say it in your heart and mean it. And this is how it begins at all. Say, Lord Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Make me brand new. Help me to be the person you made me to be in Jesus' name. And Father, right now I pray for every single in this room and that are in a season of perfection. Lord, I pray that you would help them be aware and keep themselves. Lord, as they prepare, lead and guide them. Bring people around them to support them in seasons of purity, Lord. May you strengthen their resolve and keep out the things that will destroy their relationships. Lord, for the marriage that are here, that are dealing with the heartaches and the wounds of not doing this whole dating scene right, Lord, heal broken hearts, mend relationships, bring trust back to them, bring forgiveness, bring peace, and strengthen our marriages as we pursue hard after you. I'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.